Hello, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. Hi, I'm Kimberly Davis, and I'm the Fiscal Feminist. I'm also a managing director and partner in the Bonson Group, a wealth management practice in Newport Beach, California, and we also have offices in New York City. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm super, super excited today because we are on our second installment of the mini-series on real estate topics. I'm here with my wing woman, (laughs) Jamie Saul Hong, who was with us last time when we uh, spoke to Talia. And Jamie is a vice president sales at Fidelity National Title, National Commercial Services. And our guest today is Cheryl Osborne. Thank you, Cheryl, for coming today. Really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy life to come and share with us today. Super excited. First of all, Cheryl's like a real boss, okay? (laughs) I mean, and I mean that in all sense of the word, boss, okay? So she is a boss. And I love the tagline that I read in some of her materials, girls who build in pencil skirts and pumps. Um, (laughs) Because not only is she super gorgeous, but she is president of Casco Contractors. So if you would see Cheryl kind of just randomly on the street, that would not be what would immediately pop into your mind about what Cheryl's up to. You might think model. Yeah, you (laughs) might think model. Uh, You might just think, oh my God. Fashion industry. I don't get contractor very often. Yeah, (laughs) that would not have popped into my head. But anyway, um, Casco Contractors is a contracting company and a design studio here in Orange County. It grew to be the fifth largest construction tenant improvement company in Orange County and the ninth largest woman-owned business in Orange County. I mean, those are some pretty impressive stats that not many people can really say they've ever accomplished. And so I want to talk today about several different things. I really want to hear about Cheryl's journey because I think you guys are going to say, what? And her company, exactly what it does, and a little bit about the landscape in the construction industry for women and, you know, the obstacles and the benefits and so on and so forth. And then I think the the last topic I'd really like to address, because I think it's it's so relevant and timely, is the post, the current COVID and post-COVID environment in the office space, and what we can do to make it better and to make it work. And Cheryl's very, very active in that space. So that's something that we're all thinking about right now. So it's almost like she's doing a completely good benefit to the world Mm -hmm. to help us get back to work in some way safely. So I'm going to give a few stats about the company, and then I'm going to launch into it. Uh, Just let me know if I say anything wrong. You have 70 employees. Yes. 70 million in revenue pre-COVID. That's pretty impressive. 350 projects per year, give or take, and hundreds of clients. So I, I can say hand to heart, that sounds like a pretty awesome and successful business that you've built. Mm, thanks. So let's talk about your journey, because there's something about a kitchen table involved in this, yeah. and I want to hear the story because it sounds super interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a, a baby, a laptop, and a kitchen table. Yeah, yeah. that's how I started my company. Um, I think thanks again for having me. I really am so excited. Absolutely, my pleasure. Um, So, I never thought I wanted to run a business. I never went to business school. I never had any aspiration to be a business owner. And I just got into the construction industry. I always say because I was supposed to be a boy. I was born before ultrasound. So, they thought I was a boy and I wasn't. But my father kind of opened up a very genderless activities for us throughout my life. So, 
Like, I, I never felt like there wasn't anything I could not do. So I would really like to thank my parents for that because they were lovely about that. That's great. So I got into the construction industry. I got a degree in construction management. I was one of 350 people, but the only female. There was a lot, there was a lot of options, but, you know, didn't, didn't really capitalize on those. So but. how – when you were making choices – why did you choose to go into the construction industry? So interestingly enough, I thought I wanted to be an interior designer. And that was an easy point of entry. And so I went to design school for four years. And in my senior year, I just was miserable. And I just couldn't figure out why. And I was crying at the at the school bar. I love to tell that story. <laughs> and I was like, I just want to build things. Like people are designing things that, that can't be built. And I just want to build them. And this, this random guy walked by me and he said, you should come down to construction management. We're down at the bottom of campus and we build stuff. And I was like, okay, I, he could have been an angel. He could have been a real person. I'm not sure. I never saw him again. That is unbelievable. Yeah. So I checked into it and it just checked all of my boxes, the, the curriculum and, and the energy of everything. And so I ended up adding two and a half more years onto my college uh, education. My parents actually weren't upset about it. I was a little nervous. I was going to a state school, and my sister was at a private school. So they're like, keep going. You're fine. <laughs> and I got a degree in construction management, and it was a, it was a fabulous program, um, the Cal State uh, Long Beach. And it's a, it's a really great program. So learned a lot and then just started getting jobs in the construction industry. Um, my first job was building the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland, which is wow. really interesting. It was like a $100 million job. I actually got to witness what a billion dollars looks like. I'd never seen that before. Um, oh, we, my God. That's We awesome. built an automated system to move the money in and out because people used to steal it. Uh-huh. You know, so they said, OK, we're going to use robots to move the, mo- the money instead. So it was a really fascinating project. And that's, um, that had to be a pretty large building. It was huge. It was in downtown. It was $100 million in construction. But the building has been around since, like, I want to say 1920. Yeah. So. I was just in New Orleans because my, my youngest daughter just started law school down there. So I had to go to help her do stuff. And I stayed in this hotel. And the first room I had, which I changed, overlooked the Federal Reserve building there. And it was massive. Plus, there's so much security and yep. underground mm-hmm. thing tunnels that the yeah. trucks were going into. It's it's really that's the fun part about construction is you get to really get to see inside of every business, like walking into your office I'm like looking at everything. I'm touching your walls. I'm doing all these, you know, because yeah. we really get to understand how people how people work. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that must have been very fa- I would have loved to have seen a billion mm-hmm. dollars. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. I don't know what that says about me, but I would really yeah. love to no, see a I'm billion dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So then this man started started stalking me. He was a, a, a really nice man. He had four daughters and he owned a construction company. And he said, Cheryl, I don't have any women in management in my construction company, and I want to show my daughters that that women can be in construction. Wow. So he literally stalked me and would not say no. And so he said, name your price. And I was young and kind of dumb. And I think I underbid myself a little bit, but, <laughs> you know, so I ended up going to work for him. He just kind of gave me carte blanche. So I wow. started running, you know, projects, my own projects right away. And I worked for him for three years, and it was fabulous. And then we moved back to California so just, where were you at at that time? In Cleveland. You were okay. in Cleveland. Okay. Yeah. I'm originally from Pittsburgh. So. Yeah. I, yeah. It was, it was a fun time. It was, you know, four years in Cleveland. So then we moved back and I had had my first child and I got another job and, you know, doing the same thing, project management for, you know, office space, uh, construction of office space. I ended up getting pregnant with my second child because I worked for him for about three years. And he started being kind of a jerk. And he, I don't know, he was treating me kind of poorly 
And I just thought about it one day and I'm like, I haven't asked him a single question in three months about how to do anything. I could do this. I'm like, I could own a company. How, how hard and, and could it be? do you think he was giving you a hard time because you had had a kid, you get kids and that I was taking that up time? It or? was awkward. Like, I think he was irritated that I was pregnant. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to go on leave. And, and I mean, and it's, it's, it's kind of flow. unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. The workforce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I ended up not going back to work and um, starting my company uh, with my new baby. So I had two children. And I used to carry her around in a baby Bjorn. So people used to come pick up plans and I would like turn and there's this baby, <laughs> you know, and but people like because I deal with mostly men or mm-hmm. especially back then. That was 20 years ago. Yeah. And so men were surprisingly accepting of that. And it was it was kind of neat, you know, so I I worked a lot um, and I had no intention of growing or anything. And then 9-11 hit. And 9-11 was, was very interesting for commercial real estate because it, it made everything stop because n- nobody wanted to, to move their offices. They didn't want to, mm-hmm. you know, if they, were, if they were planning on leasing space, they just kind of stopped. Right. So, so that, was, that was a tough first year. But after that, my business just kept doubling and tripling every year. Mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't plan on that. So, um, it and was, were you promoting it or was it referral business? Was the quality of your work really good, obviously, and people were referring you? But how did you get that to happen? I, I think it was performance marketing. And I kind of changed. So in 2000 and 2001, you know, construction was, I call it the dirty jeans mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of, it was pretty much all men in the industry. They weren't from a service perspective. They mm-hmm. were, um, I'll get it done. You know, you can't tell me when to finish and, and all these things. And, and so as I was working through that, I noticed that I picked up on that. And so I really made it a, a huge service-based, client-based, um, mm-hmm. you know, business. And I started doing things like, um, because mostly people are nervous that you're not going to make their dates, especially for REITs, because they report to Wall Street. And mm-hmm. if they don't collect rent, then, you know, their yeah, stock goes yeah. down. Right. So my very first client, he said, how do I know that you're going to, you know, succeed? And I said, well, if I don't, I'll pay your tenants rent. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a revolutionary idea. And he goes, are you kidding? And I go, no, if I don't make my date, I will pay the rent. Never happened. But mm-hmm. um, that gave them the assurance that that was their most important you know, pain point was making sure that the tenant occupied on time. Mm-hmm. So wow. I, kind of, I, I love that. I mean, you put your money where your mouth mm-hmm. were, was and you weren't fearful. I mean, you believed in yourself. Well, yeah, it kind of flew out of my mouth before I had a chance to think about it. But, but you know, it ended up, you know, being the right thing to say. But you had already processed <laughs> yeah. it because you knew. And so for, you know, listeners out there, you know, sometimes you just got to have some serious self-belief going down. Mm-hmm. And Truly. Um, you definitely displayed that. So, wow. Yeah. So it was great. It, great. <laughs> it was great. And they were a great client. And then I just started getting more clients and more clients. And, yeah, I think it was just performance marketing. And then I saw, like, I think it's all about also – looking for what people are complaining about, you know, the pain point thing. Mm -hmm. People were complaining about the fact that they couldn't get construction drawings or CDs. Like you have to do a whole set of drawings and put it through the city, you know, for smaller projects. And so I went, hmm, I know a lot of people that I went to design school with and I and they're all they were all having babies at the time. So I said, let's capitalize on the stay at home mom workforce. And I started saying I can do all of your architecture and your construction. So that's called design build. And nobody was doing that either. So I ended up hiring people as consultants. You know, this is what they did for a living, but they were all at home. It was really successful. So that's how I got in uh, with the Irvine Company. And and what? And this was in like 2000? It was in 2002. So I opened the construction company in 2000. 
and then I added the design arm of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and these in stay, 2002. And, and the stay-at-home moms were receptive to this, right? They, yeah, because they, they wanted to. They wanted to work. Right. They got mm-hmm. to work at home on their computers. You know, it was right. all done on CAD. And, early, yeah, early gig economy. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know that still applies now. Like yeah. if yeah. companies could give women those kind of opportunities. Mm-hmm. They still have a hand in the workforce, and they're still able to bond with their children and do whatever. And I don't think we've come very far. I mean, you were ahead of the game way back when. And are you still doing that now? Like, I'm, I have a huge family policy because I think I am a woman, you know, that owns a construction company. So if people want to work from home, they can, you know, as long as it, it works out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily target women anymore because – at the time, it was because I was leveraging not being able to pay them full time. Mm-hmm. And all, but then they, you know, they wanted to work. And honestly, you know, I say women at home that are like in on maternity leave, they are so productive. They were they were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did also let I, I let people bring their babies to work if they want to. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people don't. Yeah, like people don't want to come back at three months anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we really, really noticed hard. that that sector of, of our um, employees we try to give them a lot more freedom after they have children. Yeah. And I think because there's that window of time where your mm-hmm. kids are small. Yeah. And then, you know, then your kids aren't small anymore or they're in school whenever school gets back in session more full time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and obviously they don't want to be around you all the time because they're getting older. Yeah. You know, so then yeah. they come right back into the workforce yeah. mm-hmm. and pick up where they left off. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame to have a big gap there, you know, which I had. And, you know, I took, you know, it's like a lion's uh effort to, you know, come back to where I needed to be. So I think that's, you know, and I think it may be one of the benefits of having a woman-led company Mm -hmm. is that you are more sympathetic to that. And we also have had several men take long paternity Mm -hmm. leaves as well, and we encourage that as well. Of course. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. Cuts both ways, so and it lets the woman go back to work sometimes. Yeah. So if the man takes some time off, then she can go. Yeah. So I, I think we have to be flexible nowadays with families, women and families. I agree because mm-hmm. I think some men, some women may actually be the primary breadwinner mm-hmm. and may want to go back, and the, the man might want to be stay at home a lot more than you would think. I yeah. Don't, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it, 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 if that had been the case way back when for me, I might have. Gone back earlier. Mm-hmm. And just told Michael to stay at my first husband to stay at home because um Yeah. You let, know, yeah. Let you go out and kill it. I mean the only thing <laughs> the only problem is is this this was a man who would walk down the street fifteen feet in front of, you know, three year olds. So he wouldn't yeah. have known where you have to pay attention to <laughs> yeah. the kids and know where they <laughs> take away the sharp objects. Yeah. I yeah. Would have known <laughs> if my kids were alive or dead when I came home from work. <laughs> there was that a little bit, but whatever. Sorry, Michael, if you listen to this. Um, but the truth hurts. Um, <laughs> it is what it is, man. So okay, so you're plugging along, you've created this company, you're from the kitchen table. When do you start having an office building and having a you know, it's like a company. Yeah. So I started um, my first office because I was working out from the home for about the first four years. And then my first office space was the um, the collaborative office space. Like they call it the co-working yeah. space yeah. now. Mm-hmm. So I bought a little office, a little 10 by 10 office that I would go into that had no windows because I couldn't. I, I was afraid to commit to the window offices because they were like $100, $200 more a month or whatever. So that was about 2005, 2006. And that's when things really started to grow, and I had signed my first lease in 2000, end of 2006, which was really scary. Yeah. Um, but all through that, I think it's important to note that my business was growing really fast. And so I can tell you, like, all the different places where it plateaued and, you know, over the last 20 years, mm-hmm. I really did not – I didn't go to business school. So I really had to augment 
myself so much. And that is the one thing I would encourage people, especially entrepreneurs, if there's entrepreneurs. I joined all kinds of peer advisory groups. I went to Tuck's Business. They have like a a week-long program for women-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. I went to Harvard for real estate for a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And I just, all of these things helped me learn because I didn't even know how to read a financial statement, right? Right. I I knew how to make money. I just didn't know how to read my financial statement. So, And this is often a very common problem, especially um, not only, you know, for people who are doing stuff completely outside finance, but like in the design world. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a fashion design business in England for a while because I love clothes and it was one of my follies. Um, but it was actually successful and we sold the clothes to Saks Avenue. But one of the things I saw very rampant in that industry was there were these very talented designers, but they had no sense about money and they just flamed out. I mean, and they could because they didn't bill. They, 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 they forgot yeah, to bill. They, they, or they just, yeah. you know, so when you were, so you got yourself kind of studied up you you did these various things the tuck program the harvard program Mm -hmm. and i applaud you for that and the peer advisory groups i think are also Mm -hmm. very helpful Mm -hmm. um so when you were hiring someone to help you with this did you do that before you went on these programs or after like because you had you obviously have financial a cfo or somebody yeah so um i have a cfo she's actually been with me she started right out of college and she's been with me for like 14 years so i still think of her as like my 23 year old cfo she's like Cheryl, I'm 37. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I forgot. <laughs> but um, I, to be honest, I, I did a lot of things, and that's maybe why I could have grown a little bit differently. You know, every, mm-hmm. hindsight is 2020. Um, I grew very conservatively. The the work was coming, but like I didn't strategize on people as well as I should have. Looking back, I made some bad hires. There were a lot of men that were really reticent to go to work for a woman, mm-hmm. honestly. So it was hard to get really good project managers. But I always had good people in accounting, and I kind of just happened upon them. Like, I hired a receptionist. She just graduated from UCLA. She was brilliant. She was looking for a job. She ended up being my first CFO because wow. she just kind of, like, grew into the job. Right. So it's it's interesting. You never know where you're going to get really talented. Mm-hmm. Just hire smart women, and I swear they can figure it out. <laughs> well, I agree. And also you see that women-run companies are actually more successful statistically yeah. than male-run companies. Um, not that we're male bashing, but let's just call it like we see it. Um, it's just statistics. It's just right. statistics. So you, so you actually kind of built something awesome from absolutely nothing, something mm-hmm. in your head. You decided to, that your life circumstances required kind of mm-hmm. a different set of circumstances, and you went for it. In an industry that is not really friendly to women, per se, because it's always been a male-dominated thing, so you were saying that you were having a problem with project managers because I kind of want to get into the landscape of the construction business. <clears throat> what would be the obstacles for women and what would be the benefits for women? Because, you know, when I was looking at your slide deck, I mean, it's interesting that the stats that you have here on women in the business. So just while I'm getting to those stats, what do you think are the major obstacles and benefits for a woman who would consider going into the construction business? And How did you get the project managers to come eventually and work for you? First of all, I'm seeing more women in construction now than ever. The statistic is still really low. You know, I was at a job meeting a couple weeks ago and the architect was a woman, the contractor was a woman, the um, construction manager was a woman, and the tenant was a woman. And I was like, wow, this is so great because that, I mean, that wouldn't have happened before. But construction is a phenomenal place for women to go into. First of all, as I said, it was it was me and 349 other men that were graduating. I had seven job offer, offers. 
Uh, one of them, this was in 1993. Mm-hmm. It was $60,000 and a truck. It was wow. like crazy <laughs> wow. because they were trying to get women. Yeah. So companies are actively looking for women. I think back then it was because they just had some social pressure. I think now it's because they've realized that women are very good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, we're much more, I, you know, again, this is not male bashing, but we're much more detail oriented. Mm-hmm. I think that when you build spaces, there's so many different players. You've got your landlord, you've got your architect, you've got your contractor, you've got your tenant, mm-hmm. and then some sometimes ancillary construction managers. So women are very good at making sure that everybody is, you know, communicating well mm-hmm. and understanding. I think the funniest thing is like I when I walk into meetings sometimes, people will be talking they're not getting what they're saying. And I always have to stop everyone and go, okay, talk to me like I'm a preschooler. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. And what we finally unfold is that they don't get it, but they're still talking at each other. So I think women are good at really getting to understand what the problem is because construction is riddled with problems. I mean, when you build things. And you put your ego at the door when you say, talk to me like a preschooler, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of the truth. You know, just let's just Put all of our ego to right. the side. Break it down. Yeah. What What don't we understand, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that takes – I think women are better sometimes mm-hmm. at putting their ego to the side um, and handling all these different people with different, you know, perspectives and voices, kind of like a bunch of little toddlers mm-hmm. that sometimes yeah. women yeah. have to handle, right? Yeah. Oh, it's, I'm telling you, either toddlers or cats. It's like, her, <laughs> like honestly. So it, it it's crazy, but – So I'm seeing so many women, especially going to construction management, which is basically managing the whole process versus Mm -hmm. just what I do, which is actually run the company that builds it. Mm -hmm. So we do do construction management as well. The the women are, are, their schedules are more detailed. Their follow-up is better. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I mean, I would absolutely encourage women. There's a lot of um, education out there. And is this something you can major in in a university now? Yeah. So almost all state schools, and I'm speaking of mostly California, but it, it's, you know, they're, they're all over because we used to do construction competitions when I was in college and, and people would come from all over the United States. Um, it's called construction management, uh, engineering construction management. Sometimes people call it different, you know, different things. But yeah, so like uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo has a phenomenal construction management program. And is that, is it a very math oriented engineering based thing or? Um, so we kind of consider ourselves as cookbook engineers. So you kind of know the basics. So you do have to take the calculus and the physics, mm-hmm. but you don't have to go as deep as a, a, a an actual like an civil en- engineer right. or an electrical engineer would, but you have to be able to understand their vernacular. So you have to take enough classes to be able to manage everybody, but not as many to be able to like, like you do, know, it, to do it to execute. Mm-hmm. Okay, so mm-hmm. so it's not like you know. I know sometimes people like to write a little bit about women and kind of STEM and not yes. being so prepared to go into that. So this is maybe a friendlier version mm-hmm. of you know being like a hardcore engineer, mm-hmm. but you still get to make stuff and do cool things. And yeah, know. and we do a lot of work. I'm trying. I'm really STEM is one of my things that I'm really trying to, um, you know, get into the minds of girls at about seven years old. So I encourage anyone that's parents of, of, of young daughters, you know, tell them they're good at math, mm-hmm. especially like, you know, when they're five, six and seven, because we have the same brains. I, I do this whole brain talk sometimes because people are always fascinated, like, you're a woman, but you do construction. And I'm like, yes, but I have the same brain, mm-hmm. but it functions differently, right? Mm-hmm. And women are, you know, we, we can still do math, but we're told at a very young age. 
I don't know if you guys ever remember, there was a Barbie that came out and you would squeeze her stomach yep. and she would say, math is, is hard. hard. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, wow. what year they, was that? That was like 1972. Uh, they yeah. recalled I, it. Luckily, yeah. I'm, I'm very old. So I was in yeah. high school then. But uh, I remember the doll that her hair grew, but I don't remember her yeah. saying hard. Yeah. Math. math is hard. I mean, can you oh imagine? God. That's horrible. Yeah. yeah. So that was the message I think that oh has been God. being sent you know, and especially in school, girls tend to be a little bit shyer. So then people say that they're not as good at math because they're not yelling out the answers. But it's right. not true. Well, I'm going to go on record and I'm going to tell my friend who, who listens to these. Um, I have a friend who is kind of a renowned documentary filmmaker. And she is currently doing a documentary on girls and math. And I absolutely think that she should talk to you. I would love and to talk to her. She should be on this uh, film. Uh, so I'm going to remind myself to do that after this because I think it's going to be a very important documentary Mm -hmm. and we've already spoken about it her and I at length about the different findings and it's true I mean you know certainly back in 1972 women at that point couldn't even get their own credit card so you know they had to have a male co-signer and you know they couldn't get a loan and you know Mm -hmm. they couldn't sometimes own certain properties uh it's ridiculous right I think that was still kind of in our mindset and that lingers for a long time. I, I'm not even sure where we are today in, in some ways with younger women. I think we were making a lot of progress and we're still making progress, but somehow there was a little bit of a shift along the way that I think we might have taken a little bit of a step back in our progress. So I think these kinds of stories and encouraging girls to study math, engineering, construction, you yeah. know, and when I'm looking at your stats uh, or the stats that you provided me with, it says women make up only 1% of on-site workforce. So that means actually out there. Hammer and nail. Hammer yeah. and nail. Usually they're tapers or they're in demo or something. I am desperately searching for a female superintendent. I don't have one. And that bums me out because those are the women or those are the people that actually run the job in the field. They're the, basically the boss on, on site. There's any female superintendents out there, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, contact Cheryl. Um and then you say 10% of the construction industry is or women, and that's a clerical management sales service. So they're in the mix. Yeah. So that that kind of covers business owners all the way through to, like, yeah, accounting, um, mm-hmm. you know, project management, stuff like that. But it's still only 10%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you, and, the, and then the final thing is 13% of construction firms nationwide are owned by women. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of room there for Love women them. to kind of enter that space and become, mm-hmm. you know, real players in that space. And uh, certain, like, federal agencies and municipal state agencies – they actually have a set aside for women-owned businesses. It's called the Weeby program. Some people do it. Some people like some some agencies do it. Some agencies don't. Some do it for social responsibility, mm-hmm. and some do it because they get actual tax credits. So you just you know you just got to find out. But the people are actively looking for women-owned businesses. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think women who are out there who are thinking about entrepreneurial ventures, there are many sources for you to get some funding. I've written about this in the past, but I think I'm going to write about it again and give you some more sources because this is an interesting moment. Maybe some people are pivoting from what they have been doing due to, I don't know, all the dislocation that's occurred. Mm-hmm. So if if you are able and willing and have the you know some fuel in your tank to go start a business, this might not be a bad time. No, and I just the I mentioned Tux and Harvard. Those were both scholarships that I got through agencies that were targeting women-owned businesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's and so awesome. it, there and then there's like there's companies right now. There's a startup company that I know about that is actually looking to help women who want to start businesses. Mm. So the resources are out there. They really are. 
Yeah, that's a whole other podcast we need to interview yeah. you about. Mm-hmm. You'll be hearing more from Cheryl if she's agreeable <laughs> because we got to, to tap into her knowledge of entrepreneurship. Because I think that is the thing for women that gives them freedom in their lives too, mm-hmm. right? If you own your own business and you're master of your own universe, then you can kind of do what you need to do. Yeah. I think, you know, in my profession, now that I'm a managing director and a partner, I have a lot more freedom in how I run my P&L and how I run my life. I had to work to get to that point. But, mm-hmm. you know, having your own freedom and independence, it, it, it's a game changer for life quality. I don't know how it functions in what you're doing, but mm-hmm. you have some autonomy. I, I have think. a lot of autonomy in my job. Absolutely. I mean, I'm 100% commissioned. So I it's work as hard as I want to work. Yeah. And starve if I want to starve. Right. And, and so, I mean, in this work from home, which we're going to talk about in a second, was not a huge transition for me. I have a four-year-old and five-year-old, two daughters. Yeah. And it wasn't hard for us to go totally remote because I work so much from home anyway. But thankfully, we have a nanny who is able to basically run our house while right. my husband you, well, and I are you both need, working. You need help. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't yes. do everything. No, right? no. You know? yeah. And actually, it benefits, I think, it benefits the kids because mm-hmm. nobody wants a stressed mom, yeah. you know, around. So, like, when you can have that ability to be present when you're, you know, when you're done working and not be distracted, yeah. it's it's better for everybody. And yeah. I also think kids, you know, we had nannies because all my kids were kind of around the same age. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was living in central London. So getting like one guy, you know, one girl to tennis after school and the other one to ballet was always like two different mm-hmm. always traffic. So I had to get nannies to help me mm-hmm. a little bit. But I think it's also good for kids to mix it up a little bit. You know, they get another perspective and Usually nannies are younger, so they're a little, maybe they're more hip hip and (laughs) playful, and they're not always like, you know. A little more energy (laughs) at the end of the day. So I think, you know, children will be just fine. I do, um, too. With some. Just got to love them. If you love them, it'll all work out. Exactly. Ours ours is like part of our family. She's been with us since the oldest one was two months old. Yeah. And And I was going back to work when she was two months old. But that's the best thing is having that longevity. Yeah. But one of the things I want to touch upon before we go a little bit more into the construction company and what you're doing and all that is you do have daughters, you mentioned. Yes. And so you're a role model to them. how How do they respond to what you've done? So it's interesting because they really, as they were growing up, they really didn't understand what I did. And I just, they just knew mommy went to work and they, for for a long time, they really thought my, my husband at the time was involved in the business. So they kind of didn't know that I was doing it all on my own. It was a shock to them as they got older and could understand like more high school years, like, oh, it's just you, mom. Like I, we just assumed that, you know, yeah, that this was a family business. So they've been fabulous. They both are very, very strong in wanting to be a, you know, a participating capitalist. You know, they want to work. Mm-hmm. My oldest daughter actually works for me right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't tell you how thrilled I am when people will call me at the end of the day and say, your daughter is so amazing. She's working so hard. Great. Great. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that makes me happy. So I think they saw that that there's there's a passion to your work that mm-hmm. you need to have because mm-hmm. I always I've, I love what I do so I think that was an important thing to to show them. My youngest daughter is going to Indiana at the Kelly School of Business and she's a business entrepreneur major, oh, which wow. I was like oh, she picked that all on her own and I yeah. thought that was interesting. And we were having a conversation the other day and she's like, "I'm an unconventional woman on an unconventional path." And I'm really interested in passive income. And I was like, <laughs> okay, 
must have said something <laughs> along the way. I don't know, yeah. right? Good for her. Can I, she mentor my four and five-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like passive income. Tell right? her to give me a call. Right? Right? We can chat. Right? I'll help her with that. Um, so I think it's it's mm-hmm. important to, sh- to show that a female strong role model, mm-hmm. strong, you know, financial, you know, being capable of things. And then the other thing I think that really surprised them is when they started coming to my speaking engagements, mm-hmm. they were like looking around going, mommy's gonna speak here like real like they were so nervous for me and I was like no I do this a lot you're just you know I never brought you before so that's really I think important to engage the kids in Mm -hmm. some of the outside Mm -hmm. stuff that you're doing if you are you know contributing in a different way charities or speaking engagements or whatever well I think that makes sense too because then they realize why you're not with them 100% of the you are doing meaningful things that you're not, you know, just getting your nails done. Right. Yeah. You just are choosing out, to ignore them. Yeah. yeah. Right. You're out changing the world and they can be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's okay for a, you know, for you to be yeah. doing that as well as being their mom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you've given yourself permission to do that. It means you, and it makes you a better mom because you're more engaged with the world. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. that's how younger women, you know, that's just role models, really. Yep. So I'm, you know, I think it's awesome that your daughters are following in your footsteps. There's clearly an entrepreneur. I think they're going to pass me really quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're like, they're racing ahead of me. So I'm, pr- I'm very proud of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. So let's go to the stuff, I guess we can go to the next topic. So you've been doing your business. Everything was kind of moving along quite well. Everything was going phenomenally until mm-hmm. March 17th. Right. I just want to say. <laughs> we hit the I just, Yes, yes. <laughs> and so then, dun, 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 <laughs> yeah. it was March 17th, and all of a sudden, people are getting sick, and markets are crashing, and offices are closing. So what was your initial reaction? What did you think on that day? Were you fearful? Were you like, hmm, what was it that was going through your mind? So the first thing that went through my mind was protection of my employees. And that's one of the things that I am am actually proud of is how I managed the company through COVID. Because the first thing I did was have an all-hands-on-deck conference call with everyone in the company. Because my first reaction was very internal, very protective, mother-nurturing, mm-hmm. right? And so I told everyone, like, I'm going to take care of them. You don't have to worry. We're going to figure this out. And I've got this. I'm going to we're going to pivot. We're going to look to see who's building. And I still get employees telling me, like, thank you for that, because everybody managing fear has become what I do as a CEO. I am the. I am CEO, but it means something different now. It's chief enthusiasm officer. I got to keep everybody like, uh, yes, positive because people, you know, are, are down. But so, okay, let's get the company straight. And we did shut down for about a week. And then we realized that we were essential. And so that was a really interesting, you know, how are we going to transcend into a very different way of working? And because we did open up 100% and had everybody that was in the office work from home. So if you would have asked me a year ago if that was possible, I would have said absolutely not. There's no, you know, people can work from home a little bit, but mm-hmm. it's impossible to do what we do from home. And I have completely rethought that. So we moved everyone home. We had the technology. That was the one thing. We were lucky. But um, we had a couple of hiccups, right? Some people's home offices are better than others. Some people are comfortable. Some people have, you know, kids. You know, I used to get mad when I would hear dog barking on a um, Zoom call. And now, like, people, they're eating. They've got their kids. They've got their pets, you know. So it's very different. So immediately I was start I started thinking and I don't know why sometimes things just randomly pop in my head but I'm like 
how are people going to get back to work? Because after a couple of weeks, you, you saw it getting worse. Yeah. yeah. I started studying how we could get back to work. I actually was a little ahead of the curve. I thought it would happen a lot faster. It's still not really well, happening. Yeah, because you I think got, we like, all did. And you yeah. got like Google yeah. saying no July, one's coming back until you know, the middle of next summer. Yeah. And, and I do see yeah. that. So we look at companies who are going back to work. And interestingly enough, I told you earlier, financial services companies seem to want to be itching to get back in the office. Um, but attorneys and accountants, no. And technology, no. So what, what I think is going to happen, though, is especially because companies that have lots of millennials, mm-hmm. they're going to see that the millennials are dying to get back to work. So the work, office space is going to be different. We're already changing people's office space to accommodate for their new normal. Mm-hmm. And so and, and it's very specific to each different company. So some people need more space, interestingly enough, and some people want a lot less space. Yes. Okay, because of the remote working. Correct. Right. So, or they're, uh, they're, they're introducing office sharing where they never would do that before, but somebody has their office on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, and somebody else goes in the same office on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So they're cutting their space down. But, you know, we're seeing that a lot of people don't have conference rooms large enough to accommodate mm-hmm. the groups that they did before if they do practice social distancing. So we're seeing that a lot of people are asking for larger meeting rooms or taking advantage of companies who, you know, that have those that are shared, you know, because their company saying to you like they would be worried if they did do a lot of expansion to accommodate all the social distancing and then a vaccine comes out and then they've got all this extra, extra space. space that they don't need. I think that's why there's a state of inertia right now, because some companies know if they want to grow or shrink, but some companies don't. So a lot of people are subleasing. They're doing temporary leases. So most of the work that I do, almost all of it, is based on someone signing a lease. So usually, you know, there's a landlord or if someone buys a building, the work is for that. So I'm seeing what's happening with leases. They're slowing down in certain categories and things are blowing up in other categories. So what are those categories that they're blowing up? Things like there's a company that is similar to Tesla mm-hmm. and they're they're doing research on battery operated trucks mm-hmm. and they're just blowing up. We've got medical device companies mm-hmm. that are moving into spaces and then they're moving into bigger spaces mm-hmm. and bigger spaces. And um, because medical device, you know, that the need for your deep vein thrombrosis blood clot doesn't go, go away. Away. Right, mm-hmm. right. And we're also seeing companies that manufacture things or do marketing. So we're watching a particular company that markets for doctor's offices is blowing up. Mm-hmm. Um, the medical industry, obviously, you know, the ancillary facilities they call them, I can't think of the name right now, but the, you know, the, the hospitals are building these like specific off-site. Like satellite kind of offices yeah. of some sort. Yeah, yeah. So like for hip replacements, for example, yeah. Yeah, where yeah, you yeah. used to go into the hospital, now you would go yep. to this off-site. So those are blowing up, you know, specifically targeted to certain types of like orthopedics or something like that. Right. The hotel industry kind of, you know, that mm-hmm. was a little bit, that was tough. But but a lot of time, a lot of people took this time that they were shut down to actually do capital improvements. The people that obviously were solvent. So if they had money and they thought, hey, I was going to do this anyway next year, maybe I'll spend the money this year instead. Mm -hmm. Um, Because something did come out this year where you're supposed to depreciate your tenant improvement costs. Mm -hmm. And this year you can actually expense them. So yeah, so So. this is new. And so people need to be taking advantage of that. Uh, It was a change in the law. Yeah. So that's a good thing. So if you could just run through, because you have some interesting mm-hmm. stuff in this slide deck about 
how, you know, we can have healthy buildings. Mm -hmm. And I'm also curious to know, again, because in order to do this, people need to have money to do it, but how much some of this stuff costs. You know, I think the most important thing that people need to understand right now is the employee is really driving the safety of their work environment. Something that maybe people that were recruiting weren't thinking about before, but a safe work environment is really important. And I think that if you want to attract great talent, you're, you're going to have to do something. You know, So what we're doing is we're kind of listening to what people say because Again, it's all about risk tolerance and everyone's is different. And what I'm noticing is some millennials have a lot of a lower risk tolerance than I anticipated for going back to work. And some of the baby boomers have a very like high risk. They're like, whatever, I'm, I'm fine. I'll be yeah. fine. So you can't like say that a, any particular sector has the same opinion. Yeah. I don't know. It's really hard. So the healthy buildings is something I think that is really important. People are now questioning the health of the the building that they go into, the quality of air, right. where's my air coming from, right. the cleaning policies. I'm having my clients. Or I non-existent tell them, cleaning policies that exist. I mean, because I watch even in this, they, this is a great office, but, you know, like sometimes I think yeah. it, taking out my garbage under my desk is not. Is not cleaning. That's not cleaning. Like not right. wiping down yeah. your office, you know, your yeah. workspace. So that I've seen change a lot. And then I we actually recommend people post their cleaning policies mm-hmm. now in their office. That's a great idea. So that it gives people some sort of security that, you know, that it's being addressed. And so we're doing a lot. So think of the old hoteling workstations or the old call center workstations. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of reorganizing those and, and, and pulling them apart. They can stay six feet apart. It requires a lot. You know, you have to move your power. You have to move your yeah, data yeah, lines. Yeah. You have to. It's not just moving desks because you know everything was designed to go in that configuration so we're doing a lot of plexiglass things you know um, i noticed you had one when you know for your receptionist when you walk in a lot of that at workstations where we're we're attaching plexiglass to the um the open workstations Mm -hmm. we've done a tremendous amount of research on uv lighting as a sanitizing Mm -hmm. you know thing and yeah that's very interesting because i think you know we don't really think about that but that's a cool thing that you can do to get yeah, an important yeah, because think Kill about this: mm-hmm. elevators are generally not cleaned very often. That's a whole other thing now. People are rethinking how they sanitize elevators because you know there were so many people going in and touching everything, everything. and nobody even thought about it. Right? We're also seeing people putting in things like Zoom rooms. Those are really fun. Oh, yeah. So if you need a place to go and you know you don't have an office you can go into this little room and and you can zoom from there mm-hmm. cuz you know zooming in in an open office area is disruptive we weren't doing a whole lot of it before right. and now you know almost every meeting that i get invited to has a zoom option mm-hmm. So um, we're seeing that people are wanting to do things like that. Those are expensive. So you're talking $20,000 to put a Zoom room in. That's not something that everybody's going to rush out and do. Mm -hmm. But sometimes maybe people will designate just one office to be the office that you go into if you want to have a private Zoom Mm -hmm. chat, if if you're, you know, an open office worker. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so because I think although these may seem like in the moment um, responses to COVID, I think these things that from here on out, Mm -hmm. people are going to wonder, is this ever going to happen again? So we need to be prepared if there's any other sort of pandemic that comes down the path. Maybe they're thinking that. I'm kind of thinking that. I'm thinking that. Uh, You know, so maybe these suggestions of what you have, you know, all the cleaning and the the kind of no-touch faucets and all the things that you, you know, I was reading in here, which are super interesting... You know, they will become permanent 
And yeah. so I don't. I think even if people don't do them immediately, if and when Google has people go back to work, they're going to have to change everything up. And we used our office as kind of an experiment, and that was the first thing we did. We put in no touch faucets. We put in all you know all of our trash cans are no touch. Mm-hmm. We have automatic door openers. Mm-hmm. But that you know not everyone can do that. But mm-hmm. you know because it, it was expensive. It's a lot more expensive than people think. Especially like we get a lot of a landowner or landlords asking us to put in automatic restroom doors. And you're talking like $15,000 a piece. Mm. So people don't, they're like, it's just a door. It's just like, it's just opening it. It needs power. It needs motion sensors. It it needs different hardware. It needs, you know, so, so there are things that you can do that are completely, you know, like the signage that you see at grocery stores. We actually put that in our office to remind people to, to Mm -hmm. kind of stay six feet apart. Um, We've gone through and we've done for, for clients and for ourselves, analyzed conference rooms and and meeting areas and break rooms any any collaborative areas and figured out how many people can safely be in there and so we label that Mm -hmm. so like for example a conference room that used to have 20 chairs you can only fit maybe 12 people in there so we take out eight chairs because yeah you know so you're like you you can't you can't say you have 20 chairs in the but but we only allow 12 people it's not going to happen so doing some of that proactive stuff that 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 doesn't cost anything right is is great too you know, some of the reorganization stuff, I build a lot of co-working space uh, for a, a client. And we used to have these big areas where people would sit on couches and they have their laptops. And, you know, that was why they wanted to buy space yeah. in the co-working space. We're going in now and we're turning all those big, you know, areas into single offices mm-hmm. because that's what people are asking so for. So kind of like the WeWork. You know, that's exactly yeah. drink your yes. coffee, yeah, drink your yes. coffee on the couch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. that's their that's their, gone. That's gone. Yeah. yeah. So you had the three things: reorganize, retrofit, reenergize. Do you do just consulting on reorganizing? So like, yeah. you're not going to go in and do anything, rebuild anything, but you can help them reorganize what they have. We can help them like just do simple things like moving workstations or just moving chairs. Like like I mentioned mm-hmm. about the mm-hmm. conference rooms. And the the signage that you put down, the touches faucets, those are the the reorganize. The retrofitting tends to get a little bit more complicated. Mm -hmm. So that's when you actually have to spend money because Mm -hmm. people don't realize that everything in your office, like if if you really understood how many trades need to come in so that you can get on your computer and turn it on, you know, you have an electrician, you have an HVAC guy, you you know, there's a flooring guy, there's like, there's so many different components to what happens. We don't think about that. Well, I can't tell you how many times what I tell people I build office space and they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, you just like put carpet in or something. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like you go onto one of my job sites and there is no drywall. There's no ceiling. It's completely, you know, gutted to the studs. We are completely rebuilding this, but you walk into your office and you sit down and you turn on your computer and you don't, Realize. Yeah, because with mm-hmm. all the technology today, yeah. I mean, you've got to have a ton of wiring. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I mean, And, it and forethought, too. That. Like yeah. does, so that's what I always – like my tagline is, you know, we don't cure cancer, but we can build a facility that will help you cure cancer. Right. So that's – we have to make sure that we keep the user in mind. So who's going to sit down and who's mm-hmm. going to use the space and how is it going to work for them? So we're doing a lot of that with, with now COVID – because they're asking for different things. Mm-hmm. Now, you had said, you know, never assume what a baby boomer would want to get back to work or a millennial. So how are you finding out what these employees want, what the end user is going to want to bring them back in? 
So we developed a survey and mm-hmm. we send it out to all the employees. Mm-hmm. And so when, when I consult with clients, we give them the survey, they send it out to their employees. Mm-hmm. And we were shocked mm-hmm. at the results. So we, we send out a survey about every month. And sometimes it's a five question survey. How safe do you feel right now? Um, are you leaning towards coming back to the office? And we did a we did one in the beginning that was pretty lengthy, and it and it basically said, you know, how how is your home office? How how are you doing working from home? What what can the company be providing? Because we did a, it's called a resumercial. Mm-hmm. We did a survey. We we had everyone take pictures of their home office, and we did a survey of people had random things like my chair is really uncomfortable, right. and I thought, yeah. you know what, I can send you a chair. Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, I don't want you to be working in a really uncomfortable space. But some people are like, I don't want that ugly chair in my house. You know, so <laughs> so you just don't know. Um, but we sent out a survey, and one of the questions was, how likely do you think that you could do your job a hundred percent from home, fifty percent from home, twenty percent from home, or not at all? And we were surprised that I don't think we're going to be able to go back to to work any less than eighty percent. So if I if, if people have to come back to the office, I don't think I'm going to be able to mandate any more than like you get one day a week at least for people that would never get a day to work at home. That wasn't part of their package. Yeah, their lexicon. Now it is. And it's not even that it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a social uh, like a social need for people. And so then you're not going to recruit good talent unless you do let them work from home at least a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the survey came back that, you know, people in accounting, they 100 percent can do their job from home. People and in, did they want to do it 100% from home? Yeah, because you look at the people that are introverts and that have a, a job that's highly dependent on just them, mm-hmm. right? So the accountants, they're doing their numbers and they're processing invoices and they don't necessarily need a whole lot of people around them. So those are the people that are like, nope, we're 100% home. But project management on bid day, you know, there's four people in a room with a set of drawings and, you know, there's emails coming in and printer stuff and all that that needs to, to really happen, you know, collaboratively. But that doesn't ha- that's not what they do every day. So, so as a CEO in a company, you know, you're running a company, and I get some people can do their job right. 100% from home. But I do wonder how that affects, like, you know, the team morale. Yeah. And, Training, the, and, and just not only that, mentoring. but just like your commitment, you know. Yeah. When you're away and you don't come back in every now and then or at all, you're, atten- you're attenuated to what you're doing, to the group mentality or mm-hmm. to what you – part of working is enjoying the people that you work mm-hmm. with and having some sort of – Developing of culture. Culture and so mm-hmm. on. So how does it – yeah, and that's a good word. How does it affect the culture? It's 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 hugely affects the culture. Yeah. I mean, we're trying to do everything we can. You know, Zoom um, – we're having a Zoom costume contest for Halloween mm-hmm. – but it's not the same. It's mm-hmm. not the same. I mean, you know, we used to have like Thanksgiving potlucks mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things. So culturally, um, I started doing a lot of videos. And I was surprised at how much people remotely liked watching me reassure them that everything's okay. And it wasn't on a Zoom call. It was like a, a, a video that was produced. Um, I did about five of those. Got a lot of great response on that. We try to get everyone involved. We did a scavenger hunt you know, a lot of companies are doing things like we had a scavenger hunt that it was a lot of work to produce, but it got people connecting with each other because we put them on teams. Mm-hmm. So we put people that maybe didn't usually talk with each other on teams. That was really great. But it's it's a culture hit for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I think it's a shame because, I mean, this is a little more philosophical and, you know, but is it that society's already a little bit more attenuated through 
the fact that we communicate through text and we can I am and the social mm-hmm. media way of communicating. And so this just is like another nail in the coffin, you know, on that one, or I'm not sure that's inappropriate. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. No but, death jokes yeah, around yeah, COVID, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just another thing taking <laughs> a, exacerbates yeah, the, the issue You know, the there. kind of like people bonding mm-hmm. together yeah. in person and yeah. actually having real conversations. Yeah. And so I like to work from home a few days a week, mainly because I'm writing my book. It's just easier for me to write the book from there. But it's like when you go on a vacation, right? If you don't come in for like a week or two. You kind of feel a little bit attenuated, right? Yeah, out of touch. You're like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. right. You know, the Bonson Group. Um, So I think it's not, you know, I'm not certainly not telling anybody what to do because I think we all have to do this in a way that makes us comfortable and doesn't cause anxiety. And we haven't even scratched the surface on the lawsuits of people being Mm -hmm. forced to go back to work. So that is, I mean, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know. But God forbid somebody gets sick. And even if they signed a waiver, I mean, who knows how much somehow trace it back to the office or I mean, it's yeah. 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 So I mean, so how do you think this is all going to play out for your company and the new environment? And are you optimistic? Do you think you're going to have more work, less work? different work uh we definitely had a dip the you know we had projected growth um you know like eight percent growth this year that's not happening because i mean we still have work but what i'm seeing is it's it's a it's a ripple effect things are taking longer so we have to submit plans to the city to get approved that process is taking a lot longer than it used to Mm -hmm. because they're having their own issues you know with how they work so we're seeing things are getting pushed i'm seeing that people are still moving. They're still leasing space. They're still looking for new environments. Some people are trying to capitalize on possibly, you know, getting a better deal right now. Like if landlords, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, when when the big elephant in Orange County starts taking lease rates down, then everybody jumps. And, and so I think people are looking for those kinds of deals. But I, I was really surprised at how many companies were not affected at all financially from COVID. And then how many companies were devastated mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so and there's yeah there's mm-hmm. people that are that are yeah they're it's a pain and whatever but they're like hey i think i want to add i was talking to an attorney and he wants to add four more attorneys but he doesn't need any more space because right. he's gonna they're yeah. likely gonna work we're mostly from, from home yeah so we want the manufacturing companies to add more people because then they're, they're gonna need more space and they're yeah. gonna move so yeah. but I, I think it is happening we're very optimistic, but I get a lot of naysayers. I'm in a, a peer advisory group, and they're like, 2021 for commercial real estate. We're so scared for you, Cheryl. I'm like, thanks a lot. You know, why are you saying that? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. But I, I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be fine. I think everybody needs needs that moment where they need to pivot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like how agile you pivot, I think, is really critical. And we're, we're just trying to pivot into the places that are actually building. Yep. So, you know, and do you do any work in the kind of restaurant area or? Is yeah. It- so most most of our work is because there's uh, there's companies mostly around here that specialize just in restaurants. We don't do that. We build a ton of like grab and go cafes, especially mm-hmm. inside commercial office buildings. Mm-hmm. Those have had a little bit of a, a, a hiccup, the grab and go stuff, because it's no like one's in the office. Yeah, no one's in the office. Yeah, yeah. I think the the uh, the thing downstairs, the cafe, it's not open, that hasn't right? been open since March. And yeah. like gyms, people aren't building gyms right now, yeah. so you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think they they will once. Yeah. I think there's some. You know, I think after the election, obviously everybody's waiting for the election. We're waiting to see what happens after that, and it's going to depend on what I think the power, the authorities are saying is safe. Mm-hmm. And and it's really hard to say. 
I mean, yeah. they might it might flip. And I think that's what everybody's you know worried about going into flu season. So that's why a lot of offices aren't really making a commitment for 2021 yet. I think Jan- I think 2021 is going to be phenomenal. I, I, I think, think it's going to be a busy year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're going to have an uptick mm-hmm. because once the uncertainty of the election is gone, regardless of who gets elected, right. there's a there's a strategy. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know what you're dealing with. And mm-hmm. so, you know, go. And there's going to be a clear forward. and consistent message, whatever that message whatever is. Whatever that message is. And people are going to be, I think, more comfortable following it. Mm-hmm. Well, we have been chatting for quite some time. I'm now. sorry, I can no, be no, very no, chatty. Honestly, no, no, I could sit here and talk to you and Jamie yeah. all day because this is super interesting, and you have done something absolutely phenomenal that I think so a lot of women are going to like love hearing your story. Mm-hmm. I absolutely do want to have you come back to talk about entrepreneurship because I think that is a massive topic that deserves its own podcast. And you seem to have a lot of that information on lockdown. And I always want to share that with people because I think people want to start things, but then they get paralyzed and they're just like, how do I begin this? Mm-hmm. You know, and also like, how do I do a business plan? How do I do all those things? It's funny because I have a bracelet that I made for myself with my tagline for being an entrepreneur, and it says ignorance and persistence. And I think that wraps it up. But, like, you know, it's it's uh, being an entrepreneur is hard. You don't plan to be one. Right, mm-hmm. right. So before we close, is there any words of wisdom you want to share with our audience about anything you've learned along the way? It doesn't have to be about construction, just about, you know, following your passion or your professional growth. What would you tell any woman, young or old, who wants to pivot and is thinking, OMG, (laughs) how, why, I'm scared, what am I going to do about that? I, I think that there's a perception out there that there's like a finite amount of defined careers and, and defined jobs. And, you know, being in this business, I get to see what everyone yeah, does. There's so, so much out there. You, you have an re- awesome business for that. Yeah, yeah. you get to see. I, I didn't know people did that. Like, I didn't know that was something that, you know, people, I think it's really important to really open up your lens. And, and you know, it's it seems corny because everyone says it, but you have to love what you do. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have to love every piece of what you do because mm-hmm. I don't love every piece of, of what I do. But overall, I love what I I love building space. I love dealing with people. Just really kind of get into yourself and figure out what you love doing. And I think when you love it, you're successful at it. Mm-hmm. And amen amen yeah. to that, sister, because I always say to my, my own children, follow your passions. Mm-hmm. Because if you hate what you do, mm-hmm. it's going to be short-lived career and you're going to be miserable. And if everyone... you're doing it for money, yeah. it's not, mm-hmm. it's, you're going to be miserable. But the it... one thing I would also say is, because this is more specific to women, take care of your health. Yeah. Because we tend to work ourselves to the bone. We tend to take on too much. And it's, it's really across the board. Like I see that with them. You have to take care of your health in the process. It's true. We are the caregivers. I mean, mm-hmm. the statistics prove that. I say it every time we have a podcast, 70% of caregiving is done by women. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is in married couples or even, mm-hmm. you know, we do the, our elderly parents, mm-hmm. our children. And then the way you've handled your employees with your motivational messages doing that i mean that is something i think is a from a uniquely woman perspective to do that and i think it's awesome because i think a lot of companies would have weathered the storm a lot better and they would have had more buy-in and still had their team spirit and culture if people were doing that Mm -hmm. and i think that's a uniquely woman kind of perspective Mm -hmm. so i think you're right i think we all need to self-care is 
if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. It's the old, you know, saying if you're going to in the airplane, yep. you know, put your put own your oxygen mask, right. mask. Uh-huh. you know, take care of yourself, have personal time. You can't get a massage anymore, but, you know, do something like that um, and make sure that you. Well, you I know, got a guy. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you can't outdoors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can I have his name? Uh, it's a little strange, but you yeah. can't outdoors. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I, that's right. I did, I did find that out actually uh, recently. Yeah. But Not you as need, relaxing. But you, need, you really need to take time yeah. Yeah. and know that you're benefiting your company, your career. Mm-hmm. This is a long game. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. Rome wasn't built in a day. And also, there are going to be bumps along the way, so you just have to be ready for that. Yeah, but you are an awesome example. I mean, you've just Thank got you. the whole package, girl. You're, You're so sweet, Thank really you smart, so much. really motivated, and support other women because we yeah. have to support each other. Absolutely, yeah. So we're definitely having Cheryl come back. Yay! Um, I'm so excited. And um, yeah, support other women. We tend not to do that all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, if we don't do it, nobody else will. Right. So let's do it, ladies. So on that note, anything else you'd like to say? I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> okay. Cheryl, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you are you. just an awesome lady. You're and so... I'm, I'm so happy that I can share everything about you with these listeners. Mm-hmm. They're going to love it. It's going to be successful. Everyone's going to listen. Like it on whatever uh, podcast platform you listen to it on. And thank you all for joining us today. And I look forward to the next one. So that's us. Over and out. Thank Thanks. you. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.
Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.